0: Welcome back to episode two of the Sports Medicine Project. Now, if this is your first time listening, my name's Blake. I work in a sports medicine clinic as a podiatrist. I do some clinical education work at the university, some research, and I also do some work with Sports Medicine Australia around running injuries. Now, my co-host, who won't be on this episode today, her name is Kelly. She's also my partner. She's a private practice physio, working with more athletes and i guess the active person and she also does a little bit of work with the university of newcastle so i wanted to jump on today to talk about a case study that i had this week of a para tendon now like i said kelly won't be joining me today we actually broke up after the last episode that's how much of a heated debate we got into I'm only joking. She's doing some physio work for the Newcastle 7s today, so she won't be here on this episode, but I'm sure she'll be listening in on her way home. So, I really wanted to talk about this today because I've seen it again in the clinic and typically we see this condition get missed. So, We're going to talk about what a paratendon is. I'm going to talk exactly and only today about a case study and some questions I asked what a paratendon is, how it behaves differently to an Achilles tendonitis. Not going to talk so much about what I did because it's only early on and I just want to get, I guess, the subjective and objective history out of the way. Now, if you're a patient or you're not a health practitioner, some of the wording may not make a huge amount of sense, but I still think it's worth listening because. Very likely, you know, this this could happen to you. And it's important to get the diagnosis right because the treatments are nearly completely opposite. So I guess the title of the episode would be Not All Achilles Pain is Achilles tendinosis. So I had a patient recently, so told she had an Achilles tendinitis. So a little bit of a background with her, late 30s, she'd had six months of Um, a history of kind of mid-portion insertional Achilles pain only on the left side, super, super active. She runs most days with F45 as well. So she actually gets, I think it was maybe three or four double days of training in. So nothing of note, medical history. She'd seen two therapists in the past with not much improvement. Now, she was reporting like no improvement at all. So kind of delving into a little bit more of what she tried She tried some loading, so calf raises and calf holds and things like that. And she'd also tried some dry needling. So hadn't had an image either and hadn't seen, you know, GP or sports doc or or anything like that. Now, she runs in vapor flies and she runs around seven to eight kilometers at a time. And she was running quite quick. I can't remember the exact pace, but she said it felt pretty hard from an intensity standpoint. So loves to run. And, And the reason she came to see me was wanted, you know, to get back running Pain free. So, just from that very quick history, and there's obviously more to it, but just from that, I mean, I wanted to tell you guys some of the things I asked just in the initial appointment and what you guys should be asking your patients. So, and we'll talk about a few, I guess, a couple of flags that went off in my mind just from that history. So, one of the questions I asked her, which again, if you're any health, uh, musculoskeletal practitioner, I think you should be asking these questions. So I asked her, do you track your calories? So I'm not gonna be giving her any nutritional advice or delving too much into a diet, but it's important to understand that from the sense of if there's something going on, which there was, I would, and I did refer to a, to a dietitian. So all I asked was, do you track your calories? She said, Oh, I kind of do. I eat around twelve hundred a day and I intermittently fast. So I don't eat from so eating from twelve PM to six PM and then the other other time she's fasting. So eighteen hours of not eating and she's training twice a day. So straight away that's a bit of a flag in my mind i also asked if she had a regular menstrual cycle again we know the average age in the united states is around 51 when when you do lose that but that's still important to center there's a hormonal imbalance in combination with something going on with her diet and her fueling that's not for me to look after but it's a referral to someone who, who needs to look after that So also asked, when was the last time she had a full workup with a GP, like some blood work or any imaging or anything like that? Again, just trying to get an overall picture. Asked about previous injuries because that's important as well from the sense of if she'd reported like, oh, my knee gets sore, my Achilles gets sore, my hip gets sore, my joints always get sore. You know, we might be possibly thinking something like rheumatological, like a joint condition or something more that, that someone else needs to look after. And it's not just your straightforward um Achilles tendonitis. So I also asked her why she thought it hadn't gotten better and what do you think the cause is? So I can get a bit of an idea of what her beliefs about the injury are, like if she believes it's because she's really weak or if she thinks that maybe it is to do with her diet, or she thinks that, that she's really tight, or she needs to have massage and needling. So it's always good to get that idea because then you can, you can try to break down some of those barriers. So just from that, some of the flags that were going off in my mind, straight away, not much improvement. So we know this from the research that we get a natural history of a condition anyway. So An example is acute lower back pain settles in 12 weeks without treatment and we know heel pain settles in 12 months regardless of treatment. So having six months plus of no real change in pain, either something's been missed, the diagnosis is wrong or we should have seen some improvement, again, generally speaking. So we also get a a regression to the mean. So when most people get injured, you know, on, on average, they usually return to their function regardless of treatment. So that's kind of a bit of a mix of regression to the mean and not much improvement. So that's always a bit of a silver lining you can tell patients um, as well. So also training a lot, double days. So thinking how much she's fueling and she's training twice a day. She's running seven or eight kilometers and then going to F45. So straight away. And why hadn't she seen a GP or someone else or a sports doctor or... Why hadn't any of the other therapists referred her? And I again just wanted to see what um what her ideas were. So from that, I guess why does it matter if the the diagnosis is an Achilles tendonitis or a paratendon? So just a quick explanation of the paratendon. So we think of the Achilles tendon it basically very, very simply joins a calf muscle to the rear foot bone or the calcaneus. Now, surrounding that tendon, we have the paratendon. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and please reach out if this is wrong. I'm pretty sure you can call it a a paratendon or a peritendon. I'm pretty sure the words are interchangeable, but for this podcast, we're going to call it a paratendon. So, paratendon is a sheath, of flexible connective tissue that allows for a gliding action. So I use the analogy with patients, you imagine like electrical wire, and then you've got conduit, that electrical wire can slide back and forth through. The cylinder, or I guess that encasing, is what we call the, the peritone. So it's innervated by nerves, it's got muscles that attach to it, so that's a really really simple explanation, but you can see if the sheath is inflamed compared to the tendon, the treatment's going to be so so different in the sense of one, you're going to probably focus on loading up and building resiliency. That would be the Achilles, and one you're not going to focus so much on that because the power of tendon doesn't really like load or force, if that makes sense. So. What are some differences? So let's say you have have this come in, and usually the pain will be pretty similar. And sometimes it can sound a bit like um, an Achilles tendonitis, and you push into that area or mid portion or the insertion, it's like, oh, it's a little bit sore. And it's easily the, it's easily more common to see an Achilles tendonitis. So I've listed eight things that are going to be, I think, pretty night and day different. So number one, it's worse with running. So typically with an Achilles tendonitis. You would think that, let's say over a five-kilometer run, you would expect that Achilles to warm up and you'd be able to run and feel okay. And then towards the end of the run, maybe you might get a little bit of pain come back. Compared to a peritendon, soon as you start running, the pain just starts to get worse and worse and worse. So that's a a pretty, pretty big difference. Now, usually with a peritendon as well, you may not have pain with hopping compared to an Achilles tendonitis, you usually do get that pain through that plyometric load. The other one is an isometric or a calf hold may make things worse with the parent tendon compared to um, a an Achilles tendon where usually it, it works in the sense of pain modulation and usually makes people feel better. Now, you usually get a bit of swelling as well and like diffuse kind of general pain around the insertion of the tendon. So, you can usually see a bit of a difference because between that sheath and that tendon you get some fluid and some inflammation and things it usually looks a little bit more swollen compared to the other side if it's a unilateral condition compared to a you know a tendon that might be a little bit thicker or um, not really look so diffuse and and swollen. Now it's going to be a little bit hard to explain on podcast but with a mid-portion Achilles, you expect it to be, most of the time, sore through the mid part and on top of the tendon and then insertion where the tendon inserts onto the calcaneus. Whereas a peritendon, if you kind of imagine you're squeezing the tendon and move your way up more proximally towards the calf, it's kind of like, yeah, like you're squeezing it on the lateral border of each side, that's usually more provocative. And then when you push on the mid part of the Achilles or the insertion, they, they don't really um, have much pain the other one and again from her history if they've seen therapists in the past and they've loaded it and followed all the achilles protocol and it doesn't get better well it's probably not an achilles tendon and that's when you should be questioning you know the diagnosis or um what's actually what's actually going on now the last one and I think this comes a little bit with experience, but when you're testing the calf range of motion or you're getting a patient to do a calf raise, it feels like thickened and full with movements, like almost like creaky. So you can get that fluid um, build up between the sheath and the tendon. And then when you're moving that ankle joint and gliding that sheath, it kind of just feels creaky and, and gets stuck. Again, um, quite a poor explanation, but you, but you will feel a, a pretty big difference. I think so using those things, um, I think you can probably differentiate just from an objective assessment and then from your subjective you can tell a bit of a difference as well. Now, not going to talk too much about the treatment, more just the diagnosis and getting the the right diagnosis but again, the difference is one likes load, Achilles issue, one doesn't, paratendon. So the treatment for the paratendon was two weeks off completely of running and trying to really reduce any provocative load. So running was provocative. F45 wasn't too bad. We just took out all the plyometrics. So just keeping feet in contact with the ground, walking and things weren't too bad as well. So again, knowing that Doing more is going to, I guess, increase the rehab time. But knowing with this lady, and again, not talking about it too much on this podcast now, but she had some psychosocial factors that influence how she approaches fitness and rehab. So she wants to be really active and always doing so much and as much as she can. So I knew straight away, and I'm a little bit the same, and I know Kelly's a little bit the same exercise and running and things like that is therapeutic so yes it's good for fitness but we do it because it makes us feel good if that makes sense so i'm not going to say to her you just need to stop everything don't do any exercise because one, she won't listen to me and she'll probably just go back and continue and then and not get better so still letting you do some things that weren't provocative but two weeks off running now there is a cream from the ais physios department that we use as well so using that cream which is now, I'm definitely going to butcher what the name, but it's spelled H I R I D U O I D, and I think it's pronounced Herojoid Cream. So we use seven basically seven nights of some Voltaren gel mixed with this cream and we put that over the area of paint and wrap that in cling wrap and we sleep with it for that night. And the cling wrap is just to stop um, the rubbing of the sheet. So that cream, the active ingredient, it's like a local anticoagulant agent. It just helps to, to relieve that pain and, and inflammation. And that for seven days straight and then having a week off and that'll be your two weeks and then obviously coming back in the clinic and see how things are things are going. and I've had cases where we've had to do it again so we've, we've done four weeks. Now again, not going to go through her return to sport or running or anything like that, but just some quick things if we weren't getting an improvement after three sessions, I would not be holding on to her or saying, let's try this and try that. I would be sending her back to the GP to get a referral to see a sports doctor because one, I I may have got the the diagnosis wrong. It might not be an Achilles issue. It might not be a paratendon. It could be a a malignant bone tuber or something like that. Again, very, very rare, but if it's not improving with our normal protocol, I wanna, I guess, bring someone in to make that, that decision. Now, again, what a sports doctor may do, again, we can't say that because we don't really know, um, I guess, how the condition is presenting to them, but talking with one of the sports doctors that I work with, they say sometimes that if it's really, really painful, they won't do a PRP injection, but possibly if things are settled down a little bit, they can do do that, and it can help with reducing the, the fluid, but... Don't tell your patients that because you're not the one to to make that call. Yes, it may work and yes, we may have some evidence and it may have happened with the patient before, but you don't want to be, and this is more for a relationship with the sports doctors and other health professionals. You don't want to be like, yep, go and see the sports doc and, you'll get an MRI and you'll get an injection and this is what they'll do or call the sports doc and be like, oh, hey, can you write this patient an MRI or can you do this injection? It's not up to you. You send it to them for their opinion. And if they say, no, what you're doing is great, you can head back you know, to the podiatrist or the physio, that's great. But if they think it needs further diagnostic or, or further treatment, um, they make that call so i hope that all makes sense please reach out we had some people last time reach out on the instagram and email i even had some some friends call me and some other therapists that i work with call me and we had some great great conversations so a quick caveat to that achilles paratendid the diagnosis needs to be right because the treatment is different and just listening back to some of those things that you can um you can tell night and day difference because they behave differently. So use that criteria and always think of some flags going off in your mind if someone's coming to see you without uh, much improvement. So, again, with this patient, I also referred her to a dietitian, and said it might be worth talking to your to your GP, um, you know, about some possible more screening. And I just put that in my letter again, saying it wasn't urgent, but the dietitian part was was pretty important so thanks for listening tune in to our next episode which is going to be out in the next couple of days and it's on running strike pattern so your foot strike pattern which again super interesting um topic and yeah i'll catch you guys later have a lovely weekend